Well, good morning to everybody here live with us here at our building. And for those of you that are tuning in online, I know you guys online tonight are actually watching in the evening instead of uh, during the morning. We actually had a tree just up the road that fell overnight. The uh, tenant of our house next door uh, texted me early, early this morning uh, to let me know that they had gone all night without any power and that the power was just now coming on, that the roads were all closed down. And then we got in here this morning and we had power, but found out there's no internet, so we aren't able to actually stream live to you guys online, but we are recording this, and it'll be available to watch, and you guys are watching at 7 p.m. tonight, or maybe you're watching some other time uh, during the week. Welcome to those of you that are online as well. As we wrap up this final week of the Battle Tested series, you guys have been enjoying this, have you been getting something out of this particular series? I know a lot of you have been sharing that with me. Basically, what we've been talking about over the last four weeks is that the, the battle is not against one another. The battle isn't against flesh and blood, as we just saw there in the video. No, our battle's against who? Against the devil, against Satan, against rulers, against authorities, against principalities, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's our true battle. And what I've been saying to you is that we're going through this time right now of, of pandemic and social unrest and civil unrest and political unrest in our country, and it seems really bad. But is it possible that maybe God is just battle-testing us for something even worse that's yet to come? And as you read through Scripture, you know that it will get worse. Now, it may not be in our generation. We don't know. I'm not making claims that this is the end. But what I am saying is there will come a time in history where this is going to seem like, you know, 2020 will seem like a Sunday school picnic as compared to what, uh, what's about to happen in, in the future at some point. And so what I shared with you back in week one is it's not about the decision that you make. It's about seeing your decision through until the very end. Many people have made a decision to follow Jesus. The question, though, is will you see that decision through even when Satan is turning up the heat on you, when things get very, very uncomfortable, not just in our world, but gets uncomfortable for you and your faith? Will you continue on or not? Will you stand strong in the faith? So that's really what the series has been about. So if you haven't had an opportunity to, to watch the other messages in this series, I'd encourage you to go to our website and check it out. But today I want to wrap up the series by talking to you about how in the midst of the battle do you take some strategic risks so that we can truly defeat the enemy? What would that look like? What would it mean to, to take a calculated risk for the kingdom of God? So if you have a Bible, you want to turn to Matthew chapter 25. That's where we're going to hang out today. Matthew chapter 25. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. All the scriptures will be on the screen here behind me. For those of you that are watching online, the scriptures will be there. And for those of you online, if you go into the upper right-hand corner of your screen right now, there's a little button there that's called Talk Notes. You can push that. All the scriptures I'm going to be talking about, and all the fill-in-the-blanks and everything are right there in those Talk Notes. Or for those of you that are here live with us, you can go to your smartphone, go to exponential.church. That's our website. And our digital program is there, our digital bulletin, so to speak, and the talk notes are in there as well. All right, so what Jesus is going to talk about here today in Matthew chapter 25 is, again, how to maximize your impact for the kingdom. So here's what we read in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 15. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. Now, for those of you that have been around the church for a little while, what do we commonly call this particular story that Jesus is telling here? The parable of the, 
the parable of the talents, right. Now, the English translators here in the, the version that I used happened to say that they were bags of silver, just to make it a little bit clearer for, for people. But because a lot of people get confused when they hear talents because they think that it was some sort of like ability that they were, were given. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. It's not an ability like, you know, Bill has a, a talent to play the keyboard or, or Nate has a talent to, to make pottery and I have a talent to make Penn State jokes. I mean, it's just these things that come very natural to us, right? That, that's not what he's talking about, though. What he's talking about, a talent was a very large unit of money. Now, when I say a unit of money, think of it almost like when we say that somebody's a billionaire. Well, a billion isn't actually a, a unit of, of money. You can't get a billion-dollar bill. When we say that somebody is a billionaire, what are we saying? We're saying they have a lot of the smaller types of currency that's added up to be a billion. So that's what a talent is. You, you couldn't, like, have a, a talent bill or a talent coin. No, a talent was actually made up of what's called denarii. Denarii were a silver coin that was very common throughout the Roman Empire. Now, let me put you in the perspective just how big a denarii was. One talent was 6,000 denarii. And the average wage during that day and time was 300 denarii per year. So one talent is the equivalent of 20 years worth of wages. Now, I did the math of, okay, what would that be like for our day and time here in Dauphin County? What is the average income for a household here in Dauphin County? And then what would that look like over a 20-year period? Well, what that works out to be is $1.1 million. So in the story here, one guy gets five talents, $5.5 million in today's economy. One guy gets two talents, $2.2 million. One guy gets the one talent, which is the... 1.1 million. Is this making sense now of, of how this is? So again, it had nothing to do with necessarily the, the physical abilities. This is a, a unit of money that he's talking about. But notice that they were given the talents in proportion to their abilities. In other words, in this world, in this life, not everybody gets the same talents and abilities, the, the same skill sets. Not everybody is given the same amount of money or the same opportunities. But we are all called to do the very best we can with whatever it is that we've been given. Continuing on then in verses 16 to 20, Jesus says, The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money, and he earned how much more? He earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work, and he earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground, and he hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip, and he called to them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with how many more? Five more, right? And he said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. Now, notice he's excited for the master to come back. He's excited to give an account of what he's done. He's like, look, you gave me five, and I invested it, and now we've got five more here. So he's very excited about that and, and to, to give a report of what had happened. He's glad that the master has returned. Verse 21, the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many, many more responsibilities. First, let's do what? Let's, let's celebrate together. 
Now, I find this sort of ironic that the master says to him, you did pretty good with this small amount. Now, remember, this is five talents, $5.5 million. He says, ah, that's, that's nothing. I gave you just a little bit here to invest. And you did very, very good with it. And so I'm going to give you more so that you can continue to use your abilities and your talents and your skills to continue to invest it, to make a bigger and bigger difference. But he says, first of all, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate that you were faithful in this. Come, share in your master's happiness. Verses 22 to 23. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and he said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Now notice that the master gives him the exact same praise. The exact same thing. Now, the, the, the second guy, he didn't earn nearly as much as what the first guy did. But remember, he wasn't given as much to begin with. And so the important thing to remember is, again, it's not about how much you've been given. It's what do you do with what you've been given. As long as you're faithful with whatever you've been given, gifts, skills, talents, abilities, money, your words that you speak, as long as you're faithful with those things, then God is going to bless you. And he's going to reward you. He's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come, let's celebrate. Enter in to your master's happiness. But then here comes the last guy. And I want you to notice that the attitude changes from anticipation and, and excitement to be able to share a report to something completely different. In verses 24 to 25, then the servant with the one bag of silver came and he said, Master, I knew that you're a harsh man harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. But look, here's your money back. Notice that he didn't steal the money. He didn't run off with the money. He didn't blow the money on drugs or prostitutes or Penn State apparel. See, I told you I had a talent for Penn State jokes. He, he isn't blowing the money. He isn't wasting it. He hasn't stolen it. He says, look, here it is all back. 1.1 million. Here it is. All back. Verses 26 to 30. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, I want you to notice here that this man wasn't punished for something he did. He was punished for the lack of what he did. And I think that's the mistake that a lot of times we make as followers of Jesus. We think that sin is simply bad things that we do. And, and obviously there are bad things that, that people do. And those are called sins of commission. 
you know, that murder and, and rape and, and lying and adultery and even my favorite, you know, breaking the speed limit. Right? The, the Bible says, obey the laws of the land. So every time you break the speed limit, you are sinning against God. You have committed a sin against him. That's a sin of commission. Then there's what I would call inner sins, things like lust and pride and greed and envy and jealousy and rage, inner things that, that sometimes come out of us. But then the one that we forget is this third category of sin, which would be called sins of omission. These are things that we should be doing, but yet we sometimes fail to do. Things like reading our Bible, praying, truly loving our neighbor, and in the case of this man, taking what God has blessed you with and then multiplying it for his kingdom. That's a sin of omission. If you're not taking risks for God, if, if you're not multiplying the abilities that he has given you, then you're actually sinning against him. Now, the, the question is, why didn't this guy invest like the other guys did? What held him back? I think it's quite simple. Fear. It was just simply fear. That, well, what if I take a risk and I lose it all? What if I, I, I take a risk and, and when the master comes back, I, I don't have as much to, to give back to him? He'll be upset at me. And so this guy decides to play it safe to bury his talent so that way he can just say, well, here it all is all back. But yet, what does the master say to him? You wicked and lazy servant. And he gets punished then because of his lack of faith, because of the fact that he didn't take a chance. He didn't take a risk to try to multiply what he had been given. thought it was better to hold tightly to what he had. And so here's the, the first point I want to make to you today if you're taking notes there on your outline. Number one, if I'm going to be obedient to God, I must be willing to risk it all for his kingdom. You've you got to be willing to risk it all. Have you ever thought about that? I'm not talking about taking stupid risks for like dumb stuff. I'm talking about for the kingdom of God to multiply his kingdom, to make a bigger impact here in the Harrisburg area for Jesus, to make a bigger impact in the world for Jesus. You must be willing to risk it all, all of your finances, all of your reputation that you have, even your own life. Whatever it takes, Jesus, I'm willing to give it all. Because you gave your all for me on the cross, and now I'm willing to give my all back to you. So whatever it takes. And you know, this is something we see over and over and over again throughout Scripture. You know, when, when David confronts Goliath, there's a little shepherd boy. And he's willing to risk it all to go up against this, this mighty giant. He doesn't know that God's going to show up and do a miracle for him. He just knows that I've got to take a risk. I've got to take a chance for God and for his kingdom. One of my favorite stories, find it in 2 Samuel. It's the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer. And they're out by themselves one day, and they come across this sort of platoon of, of Philistines. 
And Jonathan, he's the only one out of the two of them that actually has a sword. His armor bearer doesn't. And Jonathan looks at his armor bearer and he says, Come, let's go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will do something on our behalf. Now, I, when I've preached on this before, you may have remembered, I actually titled this message, Perhaps. <laughs> because if I'm the armor bearer, I want something a lot more strong than perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. But yet the armor bearer, in faith, decides, you know what? Let's take a risk. Let's go do this for the kingdom of God. And they do. And if you know the story, just the two of them, they wipe out that entire platoon. Or how about Queen Esther? Remember her story? She's a, a Jew, and, and she finds out that her fellow Jews are going to be exterminated and, and wiped off the face of the planet. And the only person that could possibly save them is her husband, the king. But yet she knows that unless he has summoned her in to see him, she could be executed for that. But she knows she has to take a risk. She's got to take a chance. And she says to her, her fellow advisors there, she says, well... If I die, I die. <laughs> she decides to, to, to take this risk. And if you know the story, she goes in, and ultimately the king is able to save him. Or, you know, how about the Apostle Paul? Every single day, he was taking risks for the gospel. It was not safe for Paul at all. It didn't matter where Paul went. If he was on the road, he was in danger. If he was at sea, he was in danger. If he was in the cities, he was in danger. If he was out in the country, he was in danger. He was in danger from the Jews. He was in danger from the Gentiles. Sometimes he was even in danger with his fellow believers. And actually, Paul is not the only one. Really, the, the entire book of Acts, and in fact, the, the entire story of the New Testament, is the story of the, the new church that's being started, this new movement called Christianity. And constantly... Constantly, their lives are in danger. Every single time they uttered the name of Jesus, every single time they had a prayer meeting, every single time they went out and they healed somebody, every single time they did anything for Jesus and for his kingdom, there was the threat of either being arrested, beaten, or killed. But yet they did it anyway. Why? Why? Because they understood this story that Jesus was talking about that you can't just take what God has given you and bury it away. You've got to take great risks for him and for his kingdom. You can't play it safe. If you play it safe, at the end of time, you'll hear those words, you wicked and lazy servant. So as followers, we either need to live a life of risk or we'll have wasted our lives. Listen, please, please don't waste your life. Don't waste what it is that God wants to give to you. You know, we have a great example of this in the Old Testament. You remember when Moses leads the, the, the Jews out of slavery in Egypt? He takes them out into the desert, and, and God has this time period there that he's going to, to teach them who he is, and, and they're going to have a relationship with him, and, and he gives Moses the law. And, and that was going to be a, a period of, you know, anywhere from a couple months to up to a year. 
And then God says, okay, now, now you're ready. I'm going to take you into this land that I've promised you. And when they get up to the edge of the promised land, Moses says, all right, let, let's send these 12 spies in just to see what we're up against. 12 spies go in. 10 of them come back and they say, wow, the land is everything that God said it was going to be. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. I mean, the, everything that we saw, the, the vegetation and the fruit, I mean, it's just, it's, it's tremendous. However, the people there are like giants. I mean, we must have looked like grasshoppers as compared to these people. And the cities are well fortified. We can't do this. We should just stay here in the desert. We can't go in. Now, there's two guys, Joshua and Caleb, that they're like, no, 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 we need to listen. What is God saying? We need to take a risk. We need to take the chance. Yes, they look like giants. And, and yes, their cities are well fortified. But we, we've got to trust God in this. But the people decide to listen to the report of the ten spies, the ten that were negative. And God says the report that they gave was evil. Now let me ask you a question. For those of you that have read the story before, did they speak anything that was untrue? Were the people big? Yes or no? Yes. Were their cities well fortified? Yes. So it wasn't that they were lying. The report wasn't evil because they were lying, that it wasn't the truth. The report was evil because they weren't trusting God and they weren't willing to take a risk. And again, if you know the story, you know that God said, all right, if you're going to listen to those 10, then I'll grant you your wish. For the next 40 years, you're just going to wander around here in the desert and I'll take the next generation in. That's exactly what happens. God waits until everybody except for Joshua and Caleb dies off from the previous generation, including Moses himself. And only Joshua and Caleb and the next generation are able to enter in into the promise that God had given. Don't blow the opportunities that God has given you because you are failing to take a risk for him and for his kingdom. And here's how I put it on your outline. My taking a risk is dangerous, but even more dangerous is not taking a risk. So here's the question. What is the risk that God is asking you to take on behalf of his kingdom right now? Is it a ministry that you know he wants you to start? Is it maybe becoming a foster parent? Is it having the faith to, to change jobs because you know that your current job so has you weighed down either time or emotionally that you don't have time then to devote to God's kingdom? And so you need to find a different job where you'll have that free time? Is your big risk maybe starting to save money now so that the next time we're able to go down to Haiti to serve? And yes, it is dangerous when we go down there. But many of you don't go because you're like, it's too risky. What if I die? Well, what if you die? At least you've taken that risk for him. Now, I'm not saying that we take stupid chances. We still take precautions. We still use wisdom. And that's not just Haiti. This is in life in general. You still use wisdom, calculated risks. But so many people don't take any risk at all for God in this kingdom. It's just, I'm just going to live this safe, middle-class American life. I'm just sort of biding my days and, until I get to heaven. 
you wicked and lazy servant. That is not what we're called to do. Again, Jesus gave up his life for us, and so we are supposed to give our lives back in return to him. But listen, it's scary. It's scary sharing your faith with somebody that you know you're supposed to share your faith with. It's scary starting to tithe and going, God, I, I, I was struggling living off 100% of my income. How am I going to live off of 90%? He says, do you trust me or not? Do you believe my word or not? It's scary. But obedience always involves taking risks. For the man in the story, the, the, the risk in his mind was so great that he said, you know what, I'm just going to bury what it is that I've been given. Because of fear. It was simply because of fear. Now the question becomes, all right, how do we overcome that fear? How do we not become that, that last man? How, how do we make sure that we don't hear those words, you wicked and lazy servant? Well, I, I think the answer to that and the answer for sort of going on the offense on the battlefield as we're being battle-tested, instead of just playing a passive game, a defensive game, I think that's revealed in the attitudes of each of these guys in the story. The first two guys, their attitude was vastly different than the last guy. The first two, they are excited to be held accountable by the master. Then I'm looking forward to the master's return when he says, well, how did you do with what I gave you? And let me ask you that question. Each of you here today live with us, each of you that are watching online, are you excited to stand before Jesus and give an account for your life because you're going to go, look at Jesus, all the gifts and the skills, the talents, the abilities, the money that you gave me, the time that you gave me, the words that you gave me. Look how well I used these for your kingdom. I took risks and look how it was multiplied. X number of people came in a relationship with Jesus. X number of people I was able to disciple to become more like Jesus. Is that what you're excited about? Are you looking forward to standing before him in judgment? Many of you are like, no, I'm, I'm afraid to stand before God. I'm afraid. And that was that attitude of that last servant. He was afraid. So, so what was so different about him? Well, that's the second point I want to make to you. Sort of your application of this. In order to take big risks... I must trust in the master's goodness. The first two had a, a sense of just how good and faithful and trustworthy the master was. So it gave him confidence to take the risk. You know, five years ago for Lisa and I's 20th wedding anniversary, we spent two weeks down in Costa Rica. And one of the off days that we had of just, you know, doing various things Lisa decided that she was really tired. She was just going to lay around in the resort that we were at. I still had a lot of energy, so I wanted to do something. So I went out, and I decided to repel down seven different waterfalls. So take a look at this picture here. This is me. Uh, there I am, the little, see me there, coming, coming down the waterfall. So much fun. I, I had done repelling before in life, but never through waterfalls like this particular thing. So much fun. There's another picture here that's a little bit closer shot of me. Uh, coming down. And you notice as I'm coming down, I'm sort of leaning backwards. And there's a reason that you do that. If this hand here represents the wall, or in this case, the waterfall, 
And this hand here is going to represent me, so my feet are down here and my head is up here. Obviously, you're standing up on top of the cliff, of the edge, and you've got to come down. Now, the, the strap is around your midsection, and what you have to do is you have to learn to lean all the way back. In other words, you've got to trust the rope. And what that allows you to do is now your feet can be firmly planted against the wall. And you can either walk yourself down the wall, or the fun thing to do is you actually jump. And you release the rope, you know, as you're doing that. So you, you jump, release the rope, and you come down. You jump, you release the rope, you come down. You jump, you release the rope, you come down. You jump, release the rope, and come down. So much fun. Some of you are like, ooh, <laughs> I couldn't do it. But no, it's, it's, it's a lot, a lot of fun. Now, again, I had done this before. Again, never in waterfalls, but I had done it before, so I knew what I was doing. The other people in my group, they had never done it before. And it was interesting to watch them as the day was going on because some of them, they never would lean back and trust the rope. And so the only thing the guides can do then is just basically just lower them down. I mean, they're not actually repelling. They're just being slowly lowered down the wall. And that's not any fun. And it takes a long time to get to the bottom that way. And if you're already nervous and, and stuff, it's just longer that you're up there coming down the, down the thing. But it was interesting to watch others as the day went on that slowly but surely they trusted the rope. They would lean all the way back and they would start to, to come, down the, come down the wall. And what I'm saying to you is you need to learn how to do the same thing in life that you need to learn how to trust Jesus. You need to lean back into Jesus and trust in his goodness and his faithfulness and his gentleness and his trustworthiness. That Jesus, you've got me. And you know what happens in life then? Life actually becomes fun. It's full of adventure. And you actually meet your goals faster. You know, Jesus isn't going, all right, I'm slowly lowering you down through life until you get to death. Now, I'm not saying that when you take risks for, for Jesus that it's going to speed up death. I mean, it, it can't, obviously. But uh, what I'm saying is whatever goals he has given you, whatever big chances, you're, you're going to meet those goals faster and, and sooner. And he's like, well done. You did good with that. You, you did good with that little waterfall. Let me give you a bigger waterfall to try now. And then a bigger one, and a bigger one, and a bigger one. And he says, man, let, let's celebrate. Let's party together. You're doing such a great job. Why? Because you've learned to trust in him. The Apostle Paul, he was someone that, that lived out what I'm talking about here today. And where did his confidence come from? How did he get such confidence? Well, he learned to, to trust in Jesus. And not only who Jesus is, but what Jesus did for us as well. Look at what Paul writes in Romans 8, 31 to 39. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but he gave him up for all of us, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? 
Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? If we have the coronavirus, if we have political unrest, if we have social unrest, if we're rappelling down a waterfall, it doesn't matter what life throws at you. He says, what could ever separate us from Christ's love? He says, as scriptures say, for your sake we are all killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul was willing to trust in the goodness of what Jesus is and of what Jesus had done. And it was because of that trust that he was willing to take all these risks. Because it's like, even if I die, nothing can separate me from God's love. Why? Because of the cross. He understood the power of the cross and the power of Jesus' resurrection. And that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in me. And so now I can take bold chances for the kingdom. And this is why I encouraged you, you know, last week to read the Gospels over and over and over and over again. Because I said, the more you read the Gospels, the more you read about Jesus, the more you're going to fall in love with Jesus. And the more you fall in love with Jesus, the more you're going to become like, or want to become like Jesus. And the more you want to become like Jesus, the more you'll start to do the things that Jesus did. And the more you start to do the things that Jesus did, the more fruit you're going to bear. Well, same principle applies here. The more you read about Jesus in the Gospels, the more you're going to see all the risks that he took on your behalf. And as you see that he went to those lengths for you, you're going to go, okay, Jesus, I'm going to start to take some risks for you in return. I'm going to give you my gifts and skills and talents and abilities, my words, my, 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 my testimony, my, my, you know, everything, my, my finances, everything. It's all yours. Why? Because it's, it's not about being safe. It's about what am I doing right here and right now to advance the kingdom of God? Listen, what the cross does is it reveals to us God's great love for us, and the resurrection reveals to us his great power that's in us. So why wouldn't we trust in him? Why wouldn't we take some risks in his name? And I'll tell you where it starts. It starts with prayer. You're never going to take great risks for him unless it first starts with prayer. And so let me ask you, are your prayers reflecting what we've talked about today? Or are you just praying very safe, comfortable prayers? Do your prayers match his sacrifice? Do your prayers match his great power? Are your prayers so big and bold and ambitious that you're like, Jesus, unless you show up here and help me with this, there is no possible way it's going to happen because I'm too small, but you are big and your power lives in me. For those of you that don't know, that's why we're Exponential Church. That 
I wanted us to, to learn how to pray so big, so exponentially that it does two things. First of all, it forces us to our knees in prayer to again say, God, I, uh, these things that you would have me to do, these risks that you would have me to take, these, these goals, this ministry that you want me to start, th- this thing that you want me to do to advance your kingdom, it is so big that, Jesus, I need your help. I can't do it on my own. And the reason that we do that is for the second reason then is so that when it does happen, you can't possibly get the credit for it. Then when you've taken that bold chance and God does great things through you and through the ministry that you've started, people are like, wait, I know Gilbert or I know so-and-so. They couldn't have done that on earth. God had to show up to do that. It's just, it's too big for one person to have been able to do it on their own. And even with the team that they assembled, it's too big for them. God did a miracle here. God used that group of people to make a difference for him. See, it's not about us getting glory. It's all about him getting the glory. So again, do your prayers reflect that? Are you taking chances? The end of life when Jesus, our master, asks us to give an account for our lives. Is it going to be that it was a safe, middle-class American lifestyle or that you took bold chances for him in order to make a difference in the Harrisburg community and all around the world? Listen, don't insult Jesus' great sacrifice with small dreams and weak plans. What he did for you on the cross is so much bigger than that. So don't insult him. Trust in him. Trust in his goodness. And if you do, your reward will be great. Not only right here and right now, but in the life to come as well. And don't all of us want to hear those words? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come, let's party. Let's celebrate. Enter in to your master's happiness. So as I wrap up, let me just say this. The Christian life is a call to take some risks on his behalf. And either you've lived your life with risk or you've wasted your life. So one final question. Is today what you're living for worth dying for? Let me ask that again. Is what you're living for worth dying for? If it is, continue to do what you're doing. Keep taking big risks. If it's not, it's not too late to change. As long as you're still breathing, God still has a plan for you. And so maybe you've messed up up to this point, but today that can change. First of all, confess it to him. Say, God, I've been playing it safe. I've been making life about raises and bonuses and promotions and cars and the kids on the right soccer team and all those things I always talk about. I've been making life about that, but God, I, I understand that my life is about you and your kingdom. What am I here to do to advance your kingdom? And so from this day forward, God, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it right. I'm gonna start to take some risks. Then all you gotta do is just start taking the next steps. Obedience will always require risk. For me to go down over those waterfalls, it took that first step over the edge. And then it took leaning back and trusting the rope. So today, God has given you a next step to take. Are you going to lean back 
and trust Jesus or not. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how powerful it is. You, you said that you, your word is the, the sword of the Spirit and that your sword comes in and it, it judges our thoughts and our attitudes. So Lord, I, I pray that your word today has been doing that very thing in our hearts and our lives. That we've done a serious evaluation of, okay, am I just cruising through life? Or am I taking some risks? Am I getting out there on that battlefield and getting battle-tested, battle-ready for what it is that, that may still yet come? Lord, for each and every person, I pray that you have revealed what the next step is that we would need to take. And Lord, I pray that each and every person would be faithful to take that next step. And not worry about that, oh, look how far the journey is that I would have to go. No, just to, to look at the next step. Be faithful to that. And then take the next step, and the one after that, and the one after that, and the one after that. And Lord, we know that as we keep taking next steps, whether it's through a, a week or months or years, depending on what the, the dream is that you've given us, what the, the risk is that we have to take, we know that eventually we'll get to the place where you will get all the glory because it's happened and we've made a difference, and we're going to look back and go, I have no idea how that just happened. It, it had to be God, because it couldn't have been me. And it wasn't a, a giant leap that I took. It was just one next step after another. And so, Lord, give us the boldness, give us the courage to take a, a step over the edge here today and do whatever it is that you're calling us to do. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.